0: In the first service, I hadn't seen the video yet. I was walking up here, and I thought that sounds like my optometrist. <laughs> well, it is. <laughs> hey, John. Uh, but what a wonderful image as we get started on this uh, new sermon series, turning the world upside down. And and to sort of weave our way into that, I want to I want to talk about um, love for a minute. I want to talk about the different ways that we understand love and it's going to lead us to a particular point that I want to make. Um, I've got a wedding coming up in about a month or so. And when I do premarital counseling, I always like to talk to them about this, this idea that there are several different understandings of love in scripture. And these words that I'm going to use are not necessarily in the Bible, but they are biblical understandings of the way that works. There is, um, Storge and and storge is a love that that's empathetic. It's, it's a love we feel for people. Maybe the, whenever we first f- meet someone uh, that's going to be a good friend or whatever. Uh, it's it's a it's a love that is sh- is shared between friends. And then there's philia. Uh, the city of Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. And philia is a love that we feel among uh, siblings perhaps or parents and children are very very close friends again it's a noun it's something that we feel eros and you can imagine our word erotic comes from that and that doesn't make God blush he invented that by the way uh, that sort of love is the love that draws people together romantically and uh, it's um, and it's also uh, read song of songs if you think God doesn't understand anything about that I assure you he does and the two that I want to focus on right now for a minute is that one and then also agape or the verb form agapeo which is the love that Jesus talked about most of the time and the interesting thing about that and I know I've covered this before but I'm covering it again because this is key those first three are all feelings and they're important and God gave us those feelings to draw us toward each other in significant ways and and they're nouns they're good but the last one agapeo is a verb and what we want to talk about is how we live as the people of God. We live out of a love that is something that we do. It's a verb, not necessarily on something that we feel. But as I talk about this uh, with uh, couples that are coming to be married, I remind them that even though God invented all of those different things, there's a time whenever you really have to rely on both. Um, you know, eros, that part of our love, that, the passion... The passion is something that comes fairly easily uh, for most human beings, and it's what draws people together, and that's a very, very good thing. It's God's idea. But I I like to tell couples that that will only take you so far. For people to make it to their 50th anniversary, uh, you're going to have to have something more than just that passion, though the passion is crucial because the passion is what draws us together and sets us on the mission of marriage. And I want to submit for a minute, and this is, by the way, not a sermon on marriage, it's just a way I want to get into what we're going to talk about. Mission, a marriage is a mission, if you will. It's a mission to nurture each other. It's a mission to, to, uh, uh, to nurture children, if that happens to be in the plan. But I think most of all, and sometimes we miss this, is that marriage is a way for us to reflect the love of God in the world, and they see that in the couple, ideally. So it is a mission, and it is passion that puts the mission in motion, and, and, and that's key. Passion is what draws us together. Passion is what gets that mission in motion. And it's true for most missions. Um, if it's your work, if it's a, it's a hobby, if it's something else that's very important to you in your life, usually there's a passion for that that gets that started. Uh, and, and passion is important. I used to work for a boss in the radio business who said, I would much prefer a, pl- a flawed plan executed with passion over a meticulous plan executed with indifference and and i've i 've always remembered that because passion is kind of what gets everything rolling and and that 's the place that I want to begin as we make a shift now and talk about what this all means. For the body of christ um, there 's a passage in Acts from acts seventeen six as as people were reflecting on these these new Christ followers who were out living this life for the first or last and the last or first, and and people sacrifice for others and put other people before them and they said, these people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also as they have had come into this particular place. And that's what we're called to do, is to turn the world upside down, to shake things up, to change priorities. And the book of Acts is all about how the early church did that. And what the early church did was was remember that passion, as we shift now to the passion of Jesus. Now, we remember it specifically. There's a kind of a technical term for the passion of the Christ. There's actually a movie that sort of reflects those last hours and days in Jesus' life, and we call that his passion. But all of that, Jesus' entire life was lived out of this passion for humankind that he didn't want to see as a, in slavery to sin and and not recognizing and then growing into the fullest expression of itself. He wanted creation to be recreated, and that's what he did with his passion. And the life of the early church reflects those disciples who first lived with Jesus. If you'll go with me if you're a computer person... Those disciples, as they traveled with Jesus for those three or so years, that was sort of a beta test, if you will, for what the church would look like. Because the early church did everything that Je- the early church saw Jesus do, the important things that, that of the way he lived his passion out, and then they would later reflect that in the world. Um, and we have a scripture this morning that reflects the way they then— Lived out the passion that Jesus had for people, that they could live that out in the world in a very intentional way. So let me read this from Acts uh, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They, they're talking about those early disciples, followers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. who were being saved. Now, where have we seen that before? Teaching, breaking bread, signs and wonders, a common purse. Judas was the keeper of the common purse when it was that inner circle of disciples traveling with Jesus. Um, Praising God, praying, people being saved from their sins. I mean, this was the pattern. This is what happened when Jesus lived on the earth in flesh and blood. All of these things were were descriptive of his life and his ministry and his mission. And all of those things then became the mission of the church. While passion puts the mission of a marriage in motion, Jesus' passion puts our mission as the church in motion. It's what it's what started it all. In the kingdom of God, every follower of Jesus Christ is on a mission. It's not the preachers and the Sunday school teachers and the organists or the drummers or, or whatever. It's every single one who is a follower of Jesus is on the mission all the time. Here at Concord United, we, we, we call that sharing Christ, serving others, and growing in faith. And these aren't boxes that we check periodically to make sure we're doing some of those things because we're a church. What we want that to be is a way that we then live out of Christ's passion for his people in our community and we share that passion by sharing Christ with others and we do that certainly by inviting people in to worship but we also do it outside of here we do it in quiet testimonies and witnesses as as we all share what Jesus means to us over cups of coffee or over some common work that we're doing or or maybe a meal the breaking of bread as the passage said that's a way that we share Christ we all also share Christ in, uh, in helping people with their physical needs. We serve others, and man, do we do that well at this church. We are not... We are not content to just hang around and enjoy this beautiful facility and hear some great music in here or in the other room, and and hopefully a preacher will get off a decent sermon every now and then. We are here to serve others, to live that out in the world in tangible ways. We share Christ, we serve others, and we grow in faith. We take Bible studies, we do them online or in person, we come to Sunday school classes, we take notes in sermons, we take this seriously, we go back and watch them on, on video so that we can learn more. Because if you're not growing, you're shrinking. That's just kind of the way the universe is. And so we want to grow in Christ. And that's one of the ways we do that. And in doing so, in doing these things, these very intentional things that the early church did, now they called it, what did they say? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, everyone filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles, and so on. They did, they made sure that they did these things, and in doing those things, just as when people are married, if they will nurture each other, if they will be kind to each other, if they will live together in harmony as best they can i tell young couples this all the time that passion that dopamine drip that goes into your brain that's what happens you know whenever you see someone in a room that you've never seen before and you're in a room with 25 relatively attractive people and you see one person and you go wow her or she goes wow him, it's it's dopamine, and that's why we feel all the things we feel are chemicals that get into our bloodstream, and dopamine goes in there, and we and it starts that starts we call it passion or this eros, this response that we have. That's what starts it. But we can't just depend on that. We have to then do all these little things of listening to each other and sharing together and being kind to each other and bearing with each other whenever we have a hard time, uh, having a hard time getting along. And if we do those things all along, then suddenly the passion we realize is actually still there. And that's what the early church did. They had been formed in the shape of Jesus in the world, and he deployed them that way. I've used this illustration before, but it, it it occurred to me in the first service, so I'm going to use it again. Sometimes you break from the script. But uh, I've been blessed to be a part of the fireworks business over the years, and I learned something really cool about the way those pattern shells work. Have you ever been to a fireworks show, and a firework goes up, and all of a sudden it looks like a big heart in the sky, or it looks like a, a circle or a Saturn ring or something, and you go, wow. Actually, you go, ooh, and then you go, ah ah uh, and how did, how did how did they how did they do that well you know it's actually very simple like for a heart shell a heart pattern shell the shell's like say it's a 10 inch shell there's a there's a break charge in the middle it's just black powder and it's in the middle of the whole thing and if you were to cut it in half you would see that uh, the bo- that, half of that shell is full of rice hulls. And in those rice hull- hulls are these little stars. And they're just, if you will, they're little balls of powder that burn in different colors. Different compounds burn different colors. And they burn for five or six seconds. And so inside that shell, and like this 10-inch diameter, they're, they're actually placed in there in the shape of a heart. So if you look down on the cross-section of the shell, you would see these stars in there. There would be dozens and dozens of them in the shape of a heart. And it's just physics from that point forward. If everyone has done their job correctly in the creation of that shell, when that brake charge goes off at 10,000 or at 1,000 feet or 800 feet, the timer, the timer fuse burns up into it and it breaks, then all of those little stars go out at the same time and they maintain their shape so that what was this big on the ground is now 1,000 feet across, this huge heart. And that's the way it is with us. That's the way it was with the early church. They were formed by the passion of Jesus and then dispersed out in the world. And as they went out in the world, they kept that shape. Even though they went to new places and saw different people in all different regions, they kept that shape because they were formed in the shape of Christ. And, and that's how we operate in the world too. And the scripture is... This is not just a list of things that those folks did in the early church. It was a mindset. It was a way of life. It was the way they approached everything. So, you know, because they worked as, as well as, as carried Jesus' love out into the world, they were, they were farmers and fishermen and they were tax collectors and other business people. They were craftspeople. and They did all sorts of things. But also in the process, they carried the love of Jesus everywhere they went. So it wasn't that, okay, today I have to do this thing, or tomorrow I have to do that thing. Every moment of every day was an opportunity for mission. They had this mission mindset because they had been sent out into the world in the shape of Jesus, and everything they did reflected the shape of him in the world. Um, And as we talk about that shape, I want to pause for a second and say Maybe the most important thing we're going to say this morning, and that is, of all the different ways that we saw the early church, or even the church today, uh, and and we see it in loving actions that people do. We see it uh, in the way people faithfully and generously give, and and the way people get involved in ministries inside the church and outside the church. Those are all important, but the single most important thing that the church does to reflect Jesus in the world. There's one word for it. It was what Jesus prayed for more than anything for his disciples just before he was arrested. And it's the thing that he prays for now, I believe, for on our behalf. And that is unity. We are called to live in unity together. They praised God and enjoyed the favor of all people. They, they held everything together. They took care of each other. They lived in unity. And I assure you, these people were just as different as we are. But when you are gathered around an organizing principle, in this case, Jesus Christ and his passion for the world, when you are gathered around that organizing principle, that's where we find our unity. Political parties gather around organizing principles of their platforms or of various candidates. Other organizations, corporations, have mission statements and vision statements, and, they, and they're unified around these organizing principles. The church is organized around one principle, and that is the love of Jesus Christ that was and is and is to come. It's not something that we read about in a book. It's something that's alive in the world now. And when we align ourselves and unify ourselves around Christ, then we no longer are looking at each other as Democrats and Republicans, or big or little, or young or old, or rich or poor, or any other descriptor. There are no other qualified that matter. They all fade into the background. We are all followers of Jesus Christ, and in that way, we can have unity even in all of our diversity, and we are a diverse group of people. We could have lively, you know, I could throw a topic out, and we could be upstanding on the pews preaching to each other if we wanted to do that, but that's not what we're here for. We are here to be unified around Jesus Christ, and everything else must be become secondary. Now, it doesn't mean it's not important. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, or whether you, whatever your belief is about anything, whatever is valuable to you, those things are important. And, And I'm not saying you shouldn't have those beliefs, and you shouldn't believe strongly in what you believe. You should. I'm saying that all of those are secondary to the one thing we all have in common. And I, it, it's so wearisome to see the church around the world divide over all of these different things. And we, and in this country, we, churches have split up over the color of the carpet before. I can name names. I know churches that have divided over the color of the carpet. And we divide as denominations over how we baptize, for heaven's sake, or other things and we forget that we are organized and unified around Jesus Christ who loved everybody all the time the same way with no exceptions and no exclusions there was no hierarchy love these a little more than these uh uh-uh. uh he loved everybody enough to die for them that's what we unify ourselves around. And you know, it's possible for people to live out of that. You've seen it, and I've seen it. I've seen it perhaps in my 35 years of trying to seriously be a follower of Christ. And that goes back to, I guess, when Lynn and I took disciple Bible study at Middlebrook Pike United Methodist Church in 1988. Lauren, our, younger daughter, our older daughter, was three been trying to follow Jesus since then in different ways. And of all the things I've seen and done and all the all the wonderful worship that I've been involved in and great classes, it's whenever you're on a mission, and particularly on a mission trip, that you see this so clearly. Something happens when people all of a sudden are taken out of their everyday context and put into a context together where the single idea is to advance the cause of Christ. It's not about anything else. In 2009, I was blessed to be able to go with a delegation from the Holston Conference to Sudan. And, you know, we were as different as we could possibly be. There was a PhD, and there was at least one person with a GED. And there were people who were wealthy, and there were people who didn't have much. There were preachers. There were laity. We were ranged in age. We had people in that group, whenever we worshiped, that would love to just sit in a, a very quiet mainline church and hear the organ play and swoon. And there were people that were about that close to being Pentecostal. I was probably one of them. You should see me on a mission trip with my guitar I get it's full contact worship at that point because you get into a different context and people are raising their hands and shouting but we all worship together around my guitar for for 14 15 days as we as we were unified around Christ and we shared everything we shared pop tarts you know and and when you're in Africa and you're eating whatever it is that they can find for you to eat which often which often is not and necessarily taste tempting, uh, I mean, you know, you're just hoping that it doesn't make you sick. And if it does, by the way, you not only share your Pop-Tarts, but if somebody eats too much of the wrong thing, you share your Cipro. And we have actually shared our antibiotics with people who did get sick, and some of them did when they weren't careful and washed their hands well and got a little bit of the local water in them. Uh, it has uh, a really bad repercussions when that happens. But you share everything. If somebody is sick, then you wash their clothes for them. Or if they're homesick. Then you go sit with them and listen to them, and all of these things happen. It's just, it's just a different environment, and the focus then is not on what we have, what what is different about us and our diversity. The, the it's it then becomes what we have in common. Unity defines Christian. Community. If a Christian community does not have unity together, and hear me out, I'm not saying that we all believe the same way about everything. I'm saying we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, lived, died, crucified, lives again. Yeah, there are some things that are non negotiable, but in terms of what we believe otherwise, politically, sociologically, education, where we live, and all that sort of thing, no, no, we have to be defined by our unity together. Because when people see that, when people see that, then they realize these people are different. And that's when we begin to turn the world upside down. When we walk right in the middle of people's mess and we, and we start living in a way that's contrary to that. And it changes them. Changes us in the process too. I mean, we were, that group was so different. They went to Africa together. But all of our differences blurred into different shades of Jesus By the time we got off that airplane and we're ready to go serve, and we still feel a bond together, though we don't see each other very much. And when I think about the early church, I think about, you know, they were farmers and fishermen, and they were all sorts of different people together. And I promise you, they didn't agree on everything except one. They agreed on Jesus, that Christ had lived and Christ had died and Christ was alive again in the Holy Spirit, and they organized themselves around that, and they went out in the world and turned it upside down, which is exactly what we're called to do. Their priorities had been scrambled, their identities redefined, and they were then prepared to do whatever it takes because passion had put the mission in motion. And when you continue those steps of the mission, and you do these things, and you come and do a crop drop, and you come and serve at Cades, or you go and serve, and in, 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 uh, I think Lynn is down uh, cuddling babies right now. We have so many in the nursery now. Uh, and, and you can do that too if you would like to. There's so many different ways to serve in this church. And when we do that, you will feel close. I've used this story before but i have to mention it again because it was so beautiful and i'll never forget it during the 2016 presidential cycle uh, presidential election cycle and we were out there doing sweet potatoes in the parking lot and i was at this big pallet of sweet potatoes and right here was someone that i knew for a fact to be a staunch hillary clinton supporter had probably given to the campaign cause and was a vocal very vocal supporter of hillary clinton and five people around that pallet was someone that i knew for a fact was a very vocal Contributor to the Donald Trump campaign. And in any other setting, it, we probably would have had to cop between them. But not around those sweet potatoes because that's not why we were there. We were there to represent Jesus Christ in the world. We were there to feed people fresh food who rarely ever get fresh food. And we had a purpose. That was the organizing principle. A big pallet of sweet potatoes was the organizing principle. And it was enough to back off political adversaries and make that then blur into the background as we unified ourselves in the name of Christ and that's what, we, that's what we have to do. When we do that stuff, then the passion then reemerges. And I, I have to tell one more quick story and then we'll be done. Um, but I have to, this, from that trip to Africa, the most, the most beautiful moment of, of being together in the moment and letting everything else just sort of drift aside. We had flown, you fly into Entebbe in a big plane. And then you go from Entebbe into Sudan. You, he's in Uganda, and you go in a little plane. Well, a little plane. It's a twin-engine plane. This one, we got twenty-three people in our, and we couldn't take all our baggage. It wouldn't take it all, but most of our baggage, and and it goes. It flies into a dirt strip in Ye, Sudan, and we had a we had a member of our party who got. We were in the plane. They were getting ready to start the engines, and he just burst out in tears and took off his seatbelt and opened the door and got out. and He said, "I can't go." He was claustrophobic. And I think the anxiety of the whole trip and everything sort of settled in. And he said, I can't go. And he was just sobbing. And so in a move that probably wasn't that smart, considering the Entebbe Airport has security everywhere, and they have big guns that shoot really fast, and they, don't, they, they, tend, they tend to take care of situations before they have a chance to get out of hand. And all of a sudden, 23 people immediately empty out of an airplane on the tarmac. Not wise. Not wise. But we had to do something to help our friend because he was in great distress. So we all got off the plane, and he was down on his hands and knees on the tarmac at the Entebbe Airport, and we all got it down as well and laid hands on him. And the Holy Spirit worked in that moment. I'll have to say one of those powerful expressions of the Holy Spirit I've ever seen was on the tarmac at the airport in Entebbe with people standing around with big bore machine guns wondering what the heck was going on. But we prayed, and the power of the Spirit broke through, and it calmed him. And he was able to get on that pl- airplane for the hour and 40-minute flight into the dirt strip, and yay. And we had this incredible week together. But it was passion. It was passion that we had because we'd been going through all those steps on this mission trip. We were living life as a mission trip because we were on one. And in doing all those steps, the passion was right there when it needed to be. Passion put the mission in motion, and motion keeps the passion in the mission. The same way it does in a marriage, it happens in a church. And if you feel like sometimes, I just don't think I'm... I just don't feel like I'm getting much out of this or, you know, I don't feel connected or whatever. Then go in motion. Whatever the, you know, it was obviously that initial passion in Christ that gets us all started. And if that starts to wane, then now it's time to to keep that motion going. And whenever we do that, when we keep the mission in motion, the passion then will reemerge and will reignite us. And it's just this cycle that keeps going over and over again and we can turn the world upside down brothers and sisters this church is turning the world upside down in this community and it's going to do more so and more so with every day as more and more people come and they allow the passion of Jesus Christ to form them and start going through these missional motions and as we do that then the passion I assure you will stay alive because that's what Jesus wants for you and for me amen Oh, come on. Amen? Amen. Are, we in, are we in this or not? You know, we, we, this is our calling. The same, the same, you know, this church didn't start. This mission didn't start in 1865 in John Stone's house on the banks of the Tennessee River in Concord. That's when this church started. This mission started 2,000 years ago, and we're still on the mission. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you for including us in the mission that you would would let us in your body and that you would then give us work to do and let us be even disciples of your precious Son. Lord, thank you. Help us to be on mission, to remember that everywhere we are, whomever we are with, whatever we are doing, we are on the mission. Help us to find a way to lift up Jesus in every situation. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes,